Welcome to a special edition of the Asheville Sound. I am your host, John Lauderer. Today we're going to do something a little different. We're going to have a musician's round table, and I'm going to invite Chris Everett and Will Miller to join me. And I'm here with Chris Everett, Will Miller. Fellas, what's happening? What's up? What's up, man? How's it going? Hey, hey. Welcome, welcome to the Asheville Sound. Glad to have you. So this is part of a new um, sort of musician's roundtable starting on the show every now and then. I want to get some local musicians that I know and respect and shoot the breeze about uh, musical topics. And I couldn't think of uh, better people to start with than my man, Will Miller and uh, Chris Everett. Chris was on the show last week with the Hustle Souls. And uh, Will Miller is a, a local musician, fellow drummer who tears up the scene in a few different projects. Will, I know, of course, you're involved in the dance band Diamond River, but what else are you involved in musically right now? Got a few different projects going right now. Uh, Diamond River is not technically allowed to uh, play out other than private events. So the same lineup of musicians plays as Sidecar Honey. And uh, that's really been taken off creatively uh, throughout COVID. Mm -hmm. Surprisingly enough, uh, Dave has been, Dave Driven, he's been on your show before, has been cranking out some tunes. Yeah. And uh, we are collaborating and uh, shout out to Zach Knox, Tyler Mack, and Kimberly Zakos and Josh Bertram. But we got some great vocalists, great instrumentalists, putting some things together for Sidecar. Yeah. Going to be working with Ted Marks real soon to put in a, a COVID-themed album. We haven't decided on a name yet, <laughs> but uh, we're writing. Have some- you have you thought of? Uh, here's something original. Have you thought of the quarantine sessions? Ooh, that's. <laughs> I'm just that's... joking because because like everyone's done that. Yeah, yeah. Um, like a thousand of those. You know, we we were floating some ideas around tonight, but uh, I don't want to give anything away. I don't want to ruin the surprise for all the Sidecar Honey fans listening. I know there's a a lot of them listening to your podcast, John. So the throngs of sidecar freaks <laughs> out there. <laughs> and and surprisingly enough, Super Tight is still going strong after like 11 years or something. Wow. Um, That's amazing. Yeah. I was out of the band for three years and Kent Spillman was in my spot and did an amazing job. Shout out to Kent. And then, uh, and then I just joined back uh, when Kent headed out of town just before COVID. And uh, we're we're putting together some stuff as well. So super tight and sidecar honey are, are really my big my big loves. Okay, you can't escape the orbit of uh, super tight, I guess. Huh? I can't keep, do keep it. Keep dragging man. your back in. That's, That's how right. I met you actually. Will is that a super tight? Well, you uh, we played a show together. I think that was the first time I met you at the oh, Ultima yeah? Theater. Oh, oh yeah. Rest yes. in peace, man. That was one of the great listening rooms. That was a good I, one. I know. I miss it dearly. Uh, and. Um, uh the, speaking of quarantine sessions that that uh, broaches the first subject i wanted to talk about is uh streaming live shows which most bands have uh, pretty much it's their only option as far as performing in the past year um i saw that hustle souls did one for your album release uh, we did, well, yeah 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 and how, how'd that go for you it went really well we decided uh you know and this might sound like I'm like knocking streams and I'm definitely, this isn't the intention at all, but it's, it's really tough to get a decent quality stream going, which is, is like cell phones and stuff like that. So we realized that like, you know, if we're going to be doing this two hour show, we need to have some, 
something going on. So we went down to Ryan Earnhardt's place down in Canton where we recorded our album. And then uh, he just kind of, you know, mic'd everything up. He had a bunch of camera angles going. He was able to mix it live. I was very proud of the product. Honestly, it was very cool. Oh, good. That helps dramatically, you know. But, yeah. you know, you don't have the resources to do that every time you want to do a, a live stream. Mm-hmm. But, yep. That is the challenge is to really make it uh, a stream worth watching and sound-wise, quality-wise, video-wise. Yeah, you're, when you're on the road and stuff like that, like, you can kind of get away with playing, you know, not necessarily the same set, but, like, you can play the same songs over and over again because you have a different audience every week. But when you have streams, it's the same audience basically every time, mm. if not mostly. And so <laughs> you, it's really tricky to find that balance between oversaturation and just not doing it enough. That's true. Luckily, uh, you guys know like 10,000 songs at least, right? Your songbook, the Hustle Soul songbook is unlimited. <laughs> That's just because Billy just won't stop writing damn songs. I'm like, will you just chill out with the emotions? Like, Tom, watch, just watch Netflix for like a month and let me catch up with all these chord changes, please. I would like that. Has he seen Tiger King? I mean. I don't think he even like, it's funny, Billy, 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 Billy is the most out of touch with pop culture <laughs> I've ever met in my entire life. If you ever, Next time any of you guys ever talk to him, talk to him about Star Wars, and he has no idea anything that goes on. <laughs> actually, the first time I was, when we were on the front, when Sean and Tommy were still in the band, and, uh, you know, we would st- we all make, like, references to movies and stuff like that, and Billy's, like, completely out of the loop. Because Billy literally just, like, does everything you're supposed to do as an artist, you know. He practices and doesn't watch tv practices and writes and reads literature and like it's amazing and he you know is excellent thank god he does it yeah but i like i made a a matrix quote and i forget what it was and like it completely went over billy's head so for an entire week all i did was quote the matrix around him (laughs) in the conversations like there was one point in the van where he was like you know given it like hey let's let's park over here for the the loading in or whatever and i looked at him like deadpan and i was like that's a pretty good idea (laughs) <laughs> but i've got an even better one how about i give you the finger and then i gave him the finger and i was like and you give me my phone call <laughs> that's a good one was, yeah that's pretty good and you know the, yeah. the look of confusion on his face was was worth every minute of it <laughs> yeah and uh will have you been uh, a part of any streaming shows in the past year um you know i i actually i know i've I've done a couple like sessions with some church gigs, you know, that we've done. Um, they actually kind of kept our, our careers going for a little while. Um, when that was like my only gig was uh, we would go in on a Wednesday night, record a church service and they'd stream, you know, they'd show it on Sunday. So it wasn't a live stream, but um, it was like a, a pre-recorded thing that they showed on the internet. Mm. I've definitely watched a lot of them mm. and uh, enjoyed them very much. And, I, I really do think there's an opportunity, you know, for, for venues um, and even rehearsal studios. You know, I, I say, cause I was just down at experience music and um, I think that there's a, there's an opening there for, for venues and rehearsal studios to get a good live stream set up for bands and kind of, you know, get them in there and, and get some bands that might not have exposure, um, some exposure they deserve. Hmm. Okay. They're offering, uh, I guess, a full setup and everything. they aren't yet but um you know it's been discussed and and i even had a chat with the sound guy at one world west and he said that he's looking to do something like that at a at a studio and Mm. i just think it's a great idea you know because 
Mm-hmm. Um, you don't have to just go, you know, 10 to 1 a.m. Um, for like a show. You can, you know, get it in there, get the band in there in the afternoon or in the morning, record the live stream, get it out there, put their Venmo up. You know, it just, to me, it opens up a lot of opportunities um, for venues and bands, especially if, you know, we're in situations like this where people aren't going out to see live shows as much. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, here's a question for both of you. Uh, since, you know, probably the only shows you've seen in the past year mostly have been streaming, uh, which one do you think was done the best? Oof. As far yeah, as that's... everything, sound and video and all that. That's a tall order. Oh, yeah. man, I don't even know. Honestly, I got to say the, uh, the the church that, that me and Will both work at because another shout out, like, you know, we have Ted Marks running the soundboard. And he's actually the complete tech director of the entire place too, at this point, if I'm not mistaken. So mm. in terms of quality of, of presentation, I would probably have to honestly say that. I mean, we had a snow oh. machine. Really? Yeah. For yeah. Christmas. It snowed on stage. <laughs> so that was nice. That was good. That was a yeah. nice part of the production. That's, high, they that's production value. Yeah. yeah. But the, the streaming, the streaming part of it, they turned out really well. Um, okay. Which is cool. Yeah. I got to give a shout out to Ted about that. I mean, he does an amazing job. Mm-hmm. that was ridiculous yeah okay. um you know one world uh and southern appalachian you know jason de cristofaro has done a great job mm-hmm. kind of keeping the um attention on the jazz jams and everything and just keeping that alive um and i really enjoy those i mean it, you know the quality isn't like spectacular but you know um well, he's just it, doing the phone thing, but uh, he's he's very consistent, right? He's yeah, it gets the point across. I mean, yeah, the consistency is key for sure. This whole COVID thing has really forced all of us to kind of step up our tech game mm-hmm. in Indeed. various ways. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting watching people adapt. Yep, it's true. I think the best one I saw this year was um, there was a series that uh, they did down. I want to say down in Hickory area called the No Contact Concert Series. Oh yeah. Did you hear yeah. about that? And uh, and tall tall trees played it and some others, and I want to say their their show they put on um, was really probably the best I've seen as far as everything, be the music and the production value and everything was really flawless. So for I, sure I, that was a great that was a great one. I would actually yeah. like to change my answer to that one. <laughs> that would be, I'm going to rescind my previous answer. All right. I'm going to steal John's answer. Uh, yeah, that was a good one, and I don't. I don't know if they kept going after that because I didn't hear anything about it, but the ones they did uh, that I saw were really good. And I hope they uh, have some more coming for us, especially here in the winter months uh, where we're all kind of starved for entertainment. And we've we've watched all the Netflix shows there are to watch. I think that is going to be something that lives on and through this, all of this pandemic stuff is just that these live streams, just the quality is going to get better and better. And um, I'm, you know, I'm thankful for that because because I can't always get out of the house to go to do sh- a live show. And so to have a great live stream experience is important. Yep. Now here's a question. Will they just keep the live streams going post COVID, you know, when the, when all the places open up, are they still going to have that infrastructure of like, well, everyone's here. We might as well just live stream it anyway. Yeah. You know? Well, I hope so. Yeah. Well, you do have the IMAVL thing where they pretty much have cameras on most of the big stages in town. That's that's true. I'm, I'm thinking more in terms of like the one live and yeah, just okay. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. But uh, uh, I'm hoping by then at least people will be so tired of sitting at home that they'll actually go to shows. So that is for let's, just, sure. <laughs> let's hope yeah. that happens. Yeah. Okay, cool. 
Well, uh, next topic. Um, Chris, last time you were on the, the show, we uh, both expressed our love for Led Zeppelin. And, uh, and uh, I know we have a kindred, kindred spirit in each other in there. Um, and Will, I don't know much about your tastes as far as like the classic stuff. Do you, do you have any uh, uh, fondness for classic rock 60s and 70s? Uh, I actually uh, don't even really like music. I just do it for the money. <laughs> I just do it for the money. So uh-huh. yeah, it's been working out great. No, I'm totally kidding. Uh, no, I mean, I, you know, going to music school, John, you can attest to this, uh, really opened me up to like every different style. And, um, you know, I found so many things that I love. So I kind of, I mean, if it, if it came out and it was, you know, great then i i could probably get on board with it but i mean if i'm gonna pick specific things i'd you know motown is mm-hmm. obviously up there for me and then you know the beatles mm-hmm. uh yeah zeppelin's a big one um mm-hmm. and then i'll you know just i've been big into jazz since i was in high school um mm-hmm. my first album that i loved was kind of blue which is kind of like the beginner's jazz album that you get into but the best-selling jazz album of all time i believe yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I got to see Jimmy Cobb live, who's the drummer on that uh, album. And I mean, it sick. blew my mind. And uh, so Durham, I'm from Durham and there's a great jazz scene there and a great jazz radio station. Mm-hmm. And the first time that I ever heard a drum solo on the radio, I was listening to this jazz radio station. I was like, man, the, this station has drum solos. Awesome. <laughs> All right. I'm on board with jazz. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, shortly after that, there's a love Supreme and giant steps and all the Coltrane stuff and all the Herbie stuff made in voyage. I mean, so, I mean, jazz is a, is a huge, huge love for me. Mm. Um, so that combined with, I mean, but you know, I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. I'll listen to a Katy Perry song or a Miley Cyrus song. Uh you know like i'll i'll listen to pop and and jazz and everything i mean i love it all you're in a dance band so you pretty much have to right yeah exactly uh okay well um chris uh i don't know if i asked you when how old were you when you first discovered uh the mighty zip so really my, my mom listened to uh just grew up she was born in 65 so I was born in 86. She was about 20 when she had me. So she was still kind of like a, she was still mm. a kid, you know, and she was still like hard rock and roll and everything. So I just grew up around like ACDC and Kiss and, and Zeppelin and so I didn't even think about it. I just thought that's what everyone listened to. And my dad is 10 years older than her. And so like he listened to like James Taylor and mm. Linda Ronstadt and everything, you know, which yeah. makes sense. Mm. And uh, so it was a great pairing between the two of them. I wonder what their first date was like sometimes. It's just like, like, what do you, I know. And like, usually I had to be like, "Hey, what do you want to listen to?" Like, oh, yeah, I don't know about that. But uh, <laughs> so my cousin, I have, a, I have an older cousin Kelly who doesn't play music anymore. Who's, I have a, I have a pretty musical side of the family on my dad's side, and mm. uh, I kind of like looked up to her as a kid. And I remember she was like playing guitar, and my dad kind of played guitar, but he just like strummed chords and stuff. But she was the first person who like was like beyond chord strumming you know what i mean and immediately i was just like in love with the instrument and i remember to this day i was in probably sixth or seventh grade in my mom's truck and we were driving and she had zeppelin 2 on and heartbreaker came on yep that that, that breakdown in the middle you know like the famous breakdown yeah it was like i want to do this the rest of my life i have to play guitar now like that was it like that that was i could tell you what i was wearing 
Like it was just, it was a very, <laughs> wow, very uh, intimate moment for me right there. And then I got a guitar in seventh or eighth grade, you know, dicked around with it until I took it seriously in college. And yeah, you know, that's the okay. Story. The okay. Yeah, that's funny. I remember uh, I found, I was kind of maybe semi late to the Zeppelin game. I, I was a freshman in high school um, and I went to students gifted in the arts camp at Brevard college over the summer and mm-hmm. someone had uh, yeah, Zeppelin too. And uh, my sister had the, the LP uh, floating around the house. And uh, I, I had kind of looked at the album cover and said, Oh, that's weird. But I think that's about as far as it went. But right. uh, some reason, of course I had to have a peer turn me onto it. And uh, I remember uh, I went home and I got that LP and I had a, a crappy old realistic turntable with one speaker so I didn't really realize that things were mixed in stereo. So, you know, you're, you're missing half of the things in the mix. Oh, that's crazy. You know? That sucks. Yeah. yeah. Especially with Jimmy Page's production, messing yep. with all the different types of speaker. Yeah, that's exactly. So that's uh, uh, I got to know the record on this, or this crappy, you know, record player <laughs> with one speaker. And then um, I think it was like more, maybe more than a year later, I actually heard the whole album, like in it's in stereo and it blew my mind. See, that's a testament to how good that that album is because yep. you heard half of it and still that's thought right. it was awesome. It was still great. You know? Yep. <laughs> well, bottom, bottom was still in there, so I'm sure that turned you on. Exactly. He's yeah. in both channels. And, of yeah. course, that might have been why you picked up guitar uh, drums and not guitar. Maybe you just thought it was like a drum and bass. Wow. <laughs> there was no guitar on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, that was the first, um, I think, real rock drum solo I'd heard, too, on Moby Dick. Yeah. Uh, still, I think to this day, one of the better composed drum solos in the rock world, especially from that time. Yeah, um, for sure. I mean, he yeah. raised the bar like crazy. I mean, at that point, it was like, you know, the guy of DeVita, you know, and just, just a bunch yep. of rambling and, and whatever. I think there yeah. was a, a cream song, Toad, I think it's called. Or is it Toad is song? the one you're thinking of, yeah. Yeah, and it's solo. it's okay, but Ginger Baker's no John Bonham. And, for sure. Yeah, although he was an influence. Um but yeah, that, that, that's, that one really took me. And I remember the next year at students gifted in the arts camp, I actually got a little trio together and we played some Zeppelin tunes at the talent show, whatever, you know, and I did, Sick. I did Moby Dick with the, the hands and everything on the drum set and tore my wow. hands, tore my hands up, you know, I was just 15 years old. When I was in high school, I started dressing like Jimmy Page and I had my <laughs> hair like Jimmy Page. Really? And yeah, I like, I think I made this joke and I'm not even like joking. Like my parents had a talk with me that they didn't have the sex talk or the drug talk, <laughs> which they probably should have in hindsight, but they had the, you can listen to other bands. <laughs> and like, I was that annoying Zeppelin. Kid. Like, oh, you like this music? Well, Zeppelin's better. Oh, you like this? Well, Zeppelin's better. Yeah. Why do you listen to this when you can just listen to Led Zeppelin? It was kind so of you were like a Rush fan, but for Zeppelin. I was the worst type of Rush fan, but for Zeppelin. <laughs> Right. I'm the one who was like, who swore into the outdoor was like still a great album. And it is. Uh, it I'll is say, a good album, but you know that, what I mean? It's a good album, but like. It's the John Paul Jones record. It's the, or like Presence or something. I'd be like, no, it's yeah. just as good as Zeppelin 4. Like, I would refuse to deny any sort of shortcoming of them at all. Yeah. And you know, each each album is really cool in its own right. And, and they reflect, you know, the time period in which they were uh, produced. Yeah, and they're. They grill. And you know, what's funny is that when I got into Zeppelin, I kind of did it chronologically, even though this was way after the fact, you know, this is like the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I got, I had two first, 
And then I think I had four uh, and then marinated on those for a long time. And then I got one and then I got three. <laughs> and then from there, I went chronologically. I got, you know, House of the Holy, Physical Graffiti. And then I wasn't, it wasn't until I think I was a senior in high school until I heard Presence and Into the Outdoor. Yeah, I was getting, I was getting bootlegs by that point, by my senior year. I had yeah. a whole somewhere, just all sorts of shit and everything. But yeah, yeah. I actually only played in alternate tunings for like a year straight, year <laughs> really? or two straight, just because Jimmy Page did on all his acoustic stuff. Yeah. It was pretty bad, honestly, looking back. I could have been more productive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. And so now that we've discussed our love for rock and roll, uh, I want to get your opinion on where do you think rock and roll is now? There are some, rock, there's some sorry, who say rock is dead or dying. Uh, and then, I think it's dead. I think it's completely dead. Yeah. Well, I don't know. You know, I, I think that. And then, but I don't know. So I don't know much about pop culture because I don't really pay attention to it as much. But, you know, I do watch Saturday Night Live. That's pretty much all I, my closest connection to pop culture. And they've had guests, artists uh, um, the past few weeks who I guess are considered hip. Uh, so you had Machine Gun Kelly on there who I thought was a rap guy. But he comes uh, out and does like kind of like a, a emo Blink One Eighty Two kind of thing, playing guitar, and like is rocking. So I'm like, okay, I guess rock is cool again. And then uh, last week or the week after that, Phoebe Bridges comes on, who I guess is like the new hip female singer songwriter. And she, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with her, but she's kind of like a oh, she's great. I like I like Phoebe a lot. Yes, yeah, super chill, kind of a. Uh, in the Taylor Swift kind of tradition of, you know, songwriting. Uh, and then you probably saw at the end of her second song, she tries to smash her guitar on the monitor. Uh, and then there's this whole thing in the press about, um, you know, people dogging her for trying to smash her guitar because she's a girl. Uh, yeah. But, but I don't think that was the re reactions uh, impetus. I think it was the fact that her music is so calm and yeah. not not rocking <laughs> that it just seems so out of place and bizarre it's like kenny uh, g smashing a sack exactly exactly tried to did she actually she did not succeed, succeed. She ah did not. okay well no then, that's and, I mean, you know, there's there's plenty of footage of pete townsend you know taking a few swacks and still not breaking it or whatever my yeah. favorite takeaway of that whole event was david crosby Right. When Eddie, so when Eddie Van Halen died, David Crosby put out this tweet that just said "meh." Oh, like he's the worst. And then he gets like, like you know, crapped on like he should because it's just a, it's a dick thing to say. Like, don't yeah. be a douche about it. Just yeah. you know, do the obligatory. Oh, he's so great. Rest in peace and get your Twitter likes. You know what I mean? But he, uh, he, and then he compared. Well, Eddie Van Halen, blah blah blah. Well, Jimi Hendrix, Jimi Hendrix. You know, because that's his generation. So he said, yeah, ever since Hendrix, no one's really done it for me since. Mm. Whatever. And uh, so how can you, David Crosby, like put Jimi Hendrix on this pedestal who broke guitars on stage and then ripped this like young girl for doing the exact same thing? Yeah. Know? And I definitely think that's this. It's just kind of boomerish. I don't know. I don't know how else to describe it. Yeah, th that is ridiculous. But at the same time, Jimi Hendrix was playing aggressive, loud music, which only there. made sense to destroy your guitar afterwards because you kind of built up to that climax. Yeah, that is very as, true. as where she just kind of spent the, the, the those tunes kind of lightly strumming and la la singing, and then all of a sudden screams and tries to smash her guitar. And obviously the um, monitor is wired with some sort of little pyrotechnics that kind of go right. off when she smashes her guitar. So it's all planned, you know, and 
<laughs> and then after it's over, she looks really um, kind of just confused and uh, <laughs> and ashamed. And the, the band just doesn't look like they have, they don't know what to do with themselves. It's really awkward. Yeah. Uh, what you're yeah. describing is not a very rock and roll situation. <laughs> and this goes back to my previous statement of, I think rock and roll is dead. And okay. it will be for a while. I mean, I don't know about that. I mean, it, I, I'm thinking, you know, the name that is popping into my head and I know it's, it's kind of out of left field, but, uh, Mark Letary, uh, from the guitarist from Snarky Puppy. Mm-hmm. He's great. I mean, he, he put out some albums and it was just like really heavy baritone guitar. And I mean, it was just like rock and stuff. I mean, and yeah, but it's, it, it's, but my, my cousins don't listen to Mark Letary or give a crap about Snarky Puppy. You know, they like, in terms of, like we like it because we're like we're musicians so like we seek out stuff like that and so i think our perception is kind of skewed where when you look at like just the average person like i like my students when they come in who are kids none of them listen to rock music and they play guitar and it's really (laughs) interesting to me but in terms of like what's hip to people who are just like average joes like it's completely dead huh well who you're uh guitar students inspired by like why did they start wanting to play guitar in the first place music their dad likes you know i they like you know thunderstruck still holds up back in black still sounds cool like mm-hmm. iron man is still the coolest thing a 10 year old could probably ever hear mm-hmm. but nothing new hmm. anytime i do get new stuff it's actually ironically video game music i probably teach more of that oh. than anything else right now in terms of what's hip and new okay yeah, yeah. Well, I know Guitar Hero kind of propped up rock, rock music, classic rock for a while. Uh, it did. Yeah, it was back about 2008 or so. There's a good yeah. three-year run there. where. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's okay. Coheed and Cambria doing now? Are they still around? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but speaking of which, um, so uh, modern rock music, there's not a lot of it. And if there is, uh, I don't know, maybe I'm not hip to it. Uh and the bands that have been around for a while, uh, like that I liked back in the day, which I still like, uh, but they're still putting out material like, say, Queens of the Stone Age or Foo Fighters. Right. Uh, their material is getting more of the time, I suppose, more more poppy and cleaned up and polished, less less you know distorted riff rock, and more beat heavy. Uh, Definitely, I think yeah. they're just trying to change. It's like the Rolling Stones when they did uh, Emotional Rescue. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? They kind of yeah, went- the disco phase. A little disco phase well whatever. john i know you're a huge tool fan i am uh, and oh, there you go they're uh, keeping it real so i mean i think if you don't i mean does that have any input on this debate if rock is dead or not i mean are they i consider them rock oh yeah definitely Pro- progressive rock prog rockers and wouldn't they just won a grammy didn't they they did they're they're one of the the success success stories guys just keeping it real throughout their whole career uh staying true to their sound and somehow keeping an audience without putting out a record for 14 years. How does that happen? It's, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. They have such a cult following that fans are willing to stick with it, you know, and wait that long for a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they obsessed over it. Like it was the lead up to that record was crazy. It's like people just well, freaking out. I'll admit, you know, I'm, I'm a drum nerd. So I always key in on, on drums on like most albums and mm-hmm. I don't tend to listen to lyrics that often, but, um, you know, my girlfriend is a huge Tool fan and she's really oh. kind of like forced me to... You got to keep her there. Like, yeah, sure. dude. Uh, but she's really forced me to like, you know, she pulled up Maynard's lyrics 
Yeah. Last night, it was like you got to read these lyrics like along with the song. They're so awesome, and and yeah. I think you know his genius uh, is definitely something that's helped them. Yes. Well, they're you know just one of those perfectly formed bands. They're all great at what they do, and they they make this amazing music. Uh, that my my wife is not a fan, uh, but she <laughs> she thinks that they, all the songs sound the same, which. I can kind of see that they're all mostly in drop D and, you know, there's, there's kind of a droney thing happening in a lot of them and, you know, kind of a chanty quality. You know, I can see why she would think that, but uh, me being a, a fan since day one for those guys, uh, uh, I, they can do no wrong. I'm kind of a hero worship guy when it comes to them. And Danny Carey, I think is the best rock drummer in the game, no matter how old he is. He's about, he's almost 60 and he's still crushing it. No one can touch him. I agree. Uh, the only disadvantage to dating a Tool fan is every time we listen to a song, she's like, can you play this? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, God. Uh, yeah, I think you'll need about 20 more drums and, uh, and an electronic setup. And Yeah, yeah that's and, what I told her. Yeah, that's yeah amazing. Just, just tell her that you're, uh, you don't have the drums for it. <laughs> she's buying me a double kick pedal for my birthday. So. <laughs> you better get on it, man. Yeah, right. That's awesome. Cool. Well, um, last topic is uh, I wanted to talk about earworms. Um, and uh, for those of you who don't know, an earworm is a uh, phenomena that something gets in your head and you can't shake it almost to the point of madness sometimes. And for me, it's very random, uh, but my thoughts tend to be really random anyway. Like things will pop into my head that uh, I haven't premeditated that maybe a memory that I haven't thought of in a long time. And it's the same thing with earworms for me, a, a piece of music will get in my head that I haven't heard in a while. It's just, it pops up there from some dark corner of my brain. And uh, I'm very confused as to why it's there and I can't get rid of it for a long time. Uh, do you guys uh, happen to you too? Oh yeah. I have a huge problem with earworms uh, for the last few months. This, this is going to be hard to say on straight face. Uh, Stars and Stripes Forever, John Philip Sousa. <laughs> it's kind of, uh, it creeps its way into my life frequently. Really? Yeah. A, were you in band when you were a kid? No. I really? didn't. I wasn't in any public school band program, music program at all. Hmm. No, and so I just got really into marches like a few years ago. I was like, you know, because I was like, if I'm going to be a musician, I should do my research and like study all these people. So I made a big list of like yeah. famous people i should know and stuff like that and i, I went through like a week of susa marches mm-hmm. you know in between stars and stripes forever and the washington post they're both very good for marches uh-huh. you know i'm not listening to it anymore out of you know they're yeah. great or whatever but yeah no constantly for the last several months i get a uh, stars and stripes forever in my head where i'm humming it and i don't realize it kind of thing like, you know i hear you man susa marches are catchy and they're repetitive which makes them even more earworm material uh and of course, Liberty Bell, which was the Monty Python's Flying Circus, circus theme. Right, right, right. One of my favorites too, which yeah. is a, another really catchy one too. That's funny. Uh, that's that's a yeah, very no, it's, that's a music it's, nerd thing to admit. Yeah, that's. Uh, I try to keep that to myself. They're like, "What are you humming, Chris?" I'm like, nothing. Don't worry about it. It's fine. <laughs> don't, don't, don't worry. Why are you gonna bug me? Like, why are you bugging me like that? Like, you know. But it's just it's Phillips. So it's that oh, piccolo man. solo, man. Yeah, every time it's that counter it's, note. Yeah. It's my top 15 favorite piccolo solos of any John Philip Sousa march I've ever heard. That's a good one. That's a good one. Yeah. It's, it's kind of like a spoon, spoonful of sugar. Uh, I bet they, they took a, a hint from that when they wrote that for Mary Poppins. 
if you if you recall that tune. Yeah, actually, I'm listening. I'm thinking of it in my head. You're absolutely right. Yeah, and it's yeah. gonna be stuck in your head. That's now because not, you're thinking yeah. of it. <laughs> You've made See, it so much worse. <laughs> that's the biggest. That's the other problem with earworms is you can infect people. Mm. Uh, man, it's yeah. Do- I woke up with uh, virtual insanity in my head, and I could not get it out because we're learning uh, that for the wedding band, and I yep. just it was in my head right. all day. You know what? That tune we tried to learn that and play it for a while. It's not easy to pull off. It sounds like it's easy, uh, but for some reason it's not. And all right, so I'm going to tell you the secret. I okay. wasn't going to tell anybody this, but uh-huh. mash it up with "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Yo, that's cool. That's cool. But uh, I, I guess ah. you haven't you haven't heard us do this. We mash up "Staying Alive" with. Uh, uh, I guess it's uh, "Hot in Her." Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. And we actually got the idea from a DJ who did it and we just kind of replicated it. And it sounds really great. Yeah. We we do the first verse of staying alive in chorus. And then we go into uh, the first verse of Nelly hot and her. (laughs) Hey, we'll just do throw a little virtual insanity in there and you got a, you got a three-way mashup. Yeah. But you keep the music from uh, staying alive and it fits perfectly. So Uh that's a, that's a good idea. Maybe maybe we can throw virtual insanity in there too. Yeah. That's amazing. I, I want to throw this out there though. On the, on the topic of earworms, I, I think I learned this technique from like a Stephen Colbert interview or something, but he claims that if, if you can think of like the shortest little jingle, um, you know, for example, like McDonald's, ba-da-ba-ba-ba, mm. or like mine, the, my go-to is like the Liberty Mutual, Liberty, Liberty, right. Liberty. If you can repeat that in your head while you have an earworm and just like repeat that, those little short little jingles over and over again, <laughs> According to some, it gets rid of the earworm. So I'd be curious if your if your listeners want to experiment okay. and get back to you on that. It might massive. just replace it with an annoying jingle. So I mean, there's really no winning there. Yeah, Will I don't do, know. Will do not take my Suso away from me. <laughs> Jesus, <laughs> <Lord>. <laughs> I don't. would never do that, Chris. I, I never can't dream. exist without it at this point. It has become who I am. Suso forever. Suso, right? That's right. <laughs> Chris is in his Suso phase. <laughs> I, would, I would never guess that but it makes a lot of sense <laughs> all right oh cool guys i appreciate you joining me man we're gonna wrap it up right there and uh if uh you enjoyed our little powwow hopefully we can do it again soon yeah the round yeah. table i love it that's great yeah thanks for having me you got it. see you guys appreciate see you john it. i'd like to thank chris and will for joining me today Hoping to have them back again soon. And also wanted to put out there, if there are any musicians, artists putting out new music, I would love to hook you up with an interview and get you on the Asheville Sound. So please send me a message on the Asheville Sound Instagram or Facebook page, and I'll get right back to you. Until we meet again, I'll take care. starts in the mind and the heart continues in time forever as art and recording can either be tough and annoying or something that's clearly more lush and rewarding it's gotta be better than just good or great it needs to hit hard like Babe Ruth at the plate 
from rock, hip hop, and dance music to blues or pop, hard bop, and swing music, you choose. As a working musician, I can truly relate. So let's rap about your project and schedule a date. My name is Matt Williams, producer at The Eagle Room. I'm grateful to have helped so many artists create their music in this wonderful space, where together we have the talent and tools to bring ideas into reality. The Eagle Room is an efficient, full production recording studio with in-house mixing and mastering, high-quality equipment, and award-winning attention to detail. Visit TheEagleRoom.com to find out more.